Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and today is a day that will live in infamy for many, many people. And you're probably hearing this a lot on the news media outlets that you uh, enjoy listening to. But uh, I wanted to toss my hat in the ring, too, uh, to remember the events of September 11, 2001. It was uh, just an amazing uh, turn of events that happened on that, uh, that morning remembering, of course, that uh, there were so many people who were just completely caught unaware. Uh, it was a surprise attack to the bulk of the citizenry. And uh, it just, it was incredible to to see all this just kind of, you know, play itself out um, in real time. And here we are 22 years later, and you understand that all somebody has to do is say 9-11. And they know, that they, they remember the four coordinated terrorist attacks uh, carried out by the terrorist organization called Al-Qaeda um, that occurred on the morning of September 11, 2001. Now, uh, there are a lot of people who have opinions about what happened on 9-11. A lot of people uh, saw this as a, a threat to America and, and for uh, have forever remembered the, uh, the radical Islamists who were responsible for making this happen. I uh, wanted to look at some of the nuts and bolts here. Uh, today, here we are 22 years later, and realize that uh, there are major events that have happened in American life that we still continue to remember. We always reflect on December 7, 1941. Very few of us uh, escaped the attack on Pearl Harbor on that early Sunday morning. But when it comes to 9-11, when it happened, I mean, a couple things happened societally. Uh, first, it sent shockwaves, of course, through the whole nation because it was the first attack like this carried out on U.S. soil, on uh, December 7th, 1941, Hawaii was a U.S. territory, but it didn't become a state for 18 years. Secondly, I think the thing that what, what happened is Americans had to make a very snap decision about what they were going to allow in the country moving forward. And here's what I mean by that. Right now in the social media world, people's thinking has been changed so dramatically. Our minds have literally been altered to try to make snap judgments about major decisions. Things that people used to take a long time to decide. Read through the, uh, the the scriptures and look at the time frames of how people were moving, how quickly things were moving for them, and how many months or sometimes even years would go by between major decisions, you know, major events in someone's life. Even the life of Christ, for crying out loud. I mean, there's so much written about the last three years, of course, of his earthly ministry, but there's very little that was written from the time he was born till past like age two. We get to drop in on the 12-year-old Jesus, you know, saying, don't you know I'd be in my father's house? But other than that, we don't really pay that close attention to it. It's interesting how we will still, you know, focus on the life of Christ that way, his birth, death, and resurrection. But when it comes to societal events, ask many people, what does July 20th, 1969 mean? And they'll say, well, that's Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, the first man to ever set foot on the moon. What about November 22nd, 1963? It's the day John Kennedy was assassinated. I mean, and you know where you were. I don't know the specific date, but in March of 1981, there was an attempt on the life of President Ronald Reagan. I mean, there are certain things that really do stand out. And, and for me, this is, I, I'm just a sports guy. Um, it was in June of 2014. Uh, where it was about two years before I actually started working with the guys at Dr. James Dobson's family talk. But uh, during that time, it was uh, right after, I believe, my daughter Emily got married or maybe a couple weeks before. The Angels were playing the Chicago White Sox. And uh, my friend, Mike Segovia, who at the time was the uh, director of broadcast for family talk, came into town. 
And he was with a couple other guys, including his producer, who was a big fan of the movie Angels in the Outfield. So when he found out that I was an Angels fan and the Angels were close by, I bought us some pretty nice seats. And we went to go watch the Angels play the White Sox, and the White Sox jumped out to a 5 nothing lead, and Chris Sale was pitching for the White Sox, and he was just on fire. And the Angels began to rally back. And I remember in the seventh inning, it was now 5-1, to one, two outs, Chris Sale was on fumes. He'd thrown about 120 pitches, and Mike Trout came to bat. It was Mike Trout, one of his MVP years. And Trout worked the count to 3-2 and two before hitting a grand slam. It was one of the most amazing moments I've ever had the privilege of experience at a baseball game. Those things stay with you. The birth of your children, the day that somebody important to you passes away. I mean, there's so many different special days that will, you know, be etched in the memory of people uh, for years and years to come. But there's something about 9-11 that is just kind of different, you know? I mean, it's just, it um, it, it really does, uh, it, it sits interestingly on people as my wife likes to say it doesn't you know for some under the uh, you know underneath the hood it really does get to your heart and mind but all you have to do is say 9-11 attacks and people will either say that's the day that al-qaeda attacked the united states or that's the day that radicalized islam went after christian america or that's the day that maybe america knew more about the attack and their relationship with saudi arabia than they let on you know there's there's so many different things that that happen and I, for one, am not a conspiracy theory guy per se, but I'm with Tucker Carlson on this one. I'm all in favor of saying, let's open up the file. Let's find out what happened. How much did we know? How much did we not know? Here's what we do know. We knew that 19 terrorists from an Al-Qaeda terrorist cell hijacked four commercial airplanes. They were able to successfully, deliberately crash two of the planes into the upper floors of the North and South Towers of the World Trade Center complex. A third plane crashed into the Pentagon in Arlington, Virginia, and then a fourth one was headed for the White House. But that one, for the, the uh, legendary now uh, Flight 93 that was on its way from western Pennsylvania, uh, was crashed into an empty field there about 20 minutes by air from Washington, D.C. That fellas, let's, let's, let's roll, I believe, was the... Uh, was the phrase. But then again, when you think about the heroes of the 9-11 attacks, the ones who helped keep the death toll low, uh, the 40 people who wound up paying the price on Flight 93, even those names are, are not iconic. They're not memorable. The Twin Towers ultimately collapsed because of the damage sustained from the impacts and the resulting fires. And there are people who will ask questions uh, to this day about 9-11 and logistics. I'm not a structural engineer. I don't understand the science. I don't understand how jet fuel from two airplanes could ignite like that and it, without causing massive flameouts inside the building, cause the buildings to collapse. I mean, that that's for people way above my pay grade. But I think it is fair to say. I mean, here's one of the explanations. And this is from 911memorial.org. If you want to take a look, we'll put the link up at thebottomlineshow.com. They said the hijack flight 11, the first one, crashed into floors 93 through 99 on the North Tower. That's World Trade Center 1. That happened at 8.46 a.m. Eastern Time. The hijacked flight 175 hit tower number 2 17 minutes later, and it hit on. It took out about eight floors. Now, that the, the number of floors taken out are consistent with the size of the airplane and the impact going into the building. Um, I remember being at, uh, I was working for a company called Ambassador Advertising, still around, today they produce many of the programs that you hear here on KLTT and 
they um, the, the, those folks who were you know we were the, we got there early for whatever reason if I remember correctly I had another assignment off campus that day and I or maybe it was the day after anyway we had an early meeting I had gotten to work early I pulled in just a little after uh, probably seven o'clock and it was uh, or maybe it was maybe six thirty yeah it was it must have been six thirty. And there was the ta attack on the first tower, and some of the news agencies had gathered their video equipment in helicopters and things like that, and they were giving us aerial shots of Tower 1. And at Ambassador, we had, back in the old days, we used to have a satellite room where we had reel-to-reel -reel tapes of, uh, of programming that would fire off uh, every half hour or 15 minutes whenever they played. And so I went in the satellite room and the satellite room had a little TV on to monitor the satellite feed. And you could turn the TV on and watch TV. The overnight guy did all the time. And so we had a little black and white TV. I believe we were watching Good Morning America or something like that. And the second tower struck, uh, the, the, the hit happened at 9.03 a.m. And I remember watching the plane go into the tower. I'd just gotten into the office. The plane went into the tower and somewhere between 16,000 and 18,000 people were in the entire complex. Most people were evacuated to safety, but the fires from the impacts were intensified by the jet fuel that was there. At that weekend, the steel support trusses, uh, they attached each of the floors to the buildings, of course. And along with the initial damage, ultimately both towers collapsed. Five other buildings of the World Trade Center complex were also destroyed because of the damage. But it was surreal to watch the towers fall just literally drop 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 it took how long six months seven months for the very last piece of steel from the world trade center may 30th 2002 by the time they finally got that out of there it was absolutely incredible to see that happening um, i've had the privilege of meeting several first responders who were there police firefighters uh, things of that nature good christian men who've now gone into full-time ministry because it was just too stressful to have to be there uh, a, a, a colleague of mine was one of my daughter's soccer coaches. He had, was in New York on business. And uh, Eric was literally looking for a, a, a place to get coffee. And apparently the line at the Starbucks there was too long in Manhattan or wherever. So he went to, uh, he was walking down the street to go to a Dunkin' Donuts who was down the way. And that's when he looked up, saw the plane hit, saw the second plane hit. He was able to catch a cab, took a cab to the airport, rented a car and drove home from New York to California. It was, it was that intense to see this happening. What has happened to America in the 22 years since the 9-11 attacks? And what should we as Christians make of this, uh, this new world order that we're in? We're going to talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Our friends at Preborn always do such a great job of keeping us up to date with bottom line show listeners, especially here in Southern California, who reach out to us and let us know that they are supporting Preborn. Uh, Milton in Lake Elsinore reached out over Labor Day weekend and made a gift of $840, a one-time donation to support ultrasounds and the uh, making them available to women all throughout the Southland through Preborn. Uh, if you're wondering why $840, it costs $28 to provide an ultrasound. That's the images, the pregnancy test, the meeting with the technician to show you how far along you are and then to explain what your options are. And 85% of the women who go to preborn clinics and get the ultrasound test done for free to them 
We pay for it. I mean, we as supporters of preborn. Um, 85% of the women choose life for their children, either to become a mother or to release that child for adoption. Do what Milton did. He picked 30. I, I'm not what sure the, the math was behind that, but he picked 30 kids to sponsor, 30 appointments at $28 a piece, $840 donation, one-time tax deductible. Make your gift today. Uh, 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229, or go online to kbrightradio.com. You'll see a picture of a couple of cute uh, newborn twins. Click that banner, make your donation today. Welcome back to this special edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. September 11th, 2023, we are 22 years removed from the attacks on uh, the World Trade Center and the Pentagon and ultimately was what was supposed to be Flight 93 out of Pennsylvania was supposed to go hit the White House. But as more and more people were receiving messaging from family members and sometimes even phone calls saying, hey, what's going on? Have you heard about this? Uh, that's when these heroic men and women were saying their goodbyes and they determined to rush the cabin, knock over the people who were not there, um, uh, not actually the flight crew, and uh, were able to crash the plane and prevent an attack from uh, hitting the White House. Uh, President Bush, George W. Bush, was in office at the time and he was not at the White House when it did happen. All told, 2,977 people from 93 different nations were killed. There were 2,753 people killed in New York at the World Trade Center towers. 184 people died at the Pentagon. And then, of course, the 40 people who were killed on Flight 93, crashing it into that uh, empty field in western Pennsylvania. They were 20 minutes by air from D.C. And the plan was to literally blow up the White House as well. Uh, when you consider the damage that was done to the Twin Towers, there are people who are speculating and have been speculating for years as to whether or not the Twin Towers were booby-trapped because there's no way that the, the all of this could conceivably happen. The Twin Towers themselves, the tallest buildings in New York City, 110 story each, and uh, uh, World Trade Center 1, the North Tower, World Trade Center 2, the South Tower, 10 million square feet of office space. There were about 35,000 people who could be housed there, 430 companies. For a brief period upon their completion 50 years ago this year, uh, they were the tallest buildings in the world. And about 70,000 commuters and tourists every day went there. North Tower, 1,368 feet, uh, 1730 with the large antenna. The South Tower, 1362. You could see for 45 miles off the top of the tower in every direction. You could see all five boroughs. You could see New Jersey. You could say Connecticut. Each building weighed 250,000 tons, 99 elevators, 21,800 windows. If you've ever had the opportunity to hear my conversations with Leslie Haskin, I think we had Leslie on a couple of years ago. Leslie was a senior vice president for Kemper Insurance, first African-American woman to hold that high of an office with the company. And she was in Tower One, I believe, on the on the day this happened. She was able to get out by a miracle. She went home and the very next day had post-traumatic stress disorder to where she was literally in a bathtub in somebody's yard, just <laughs> sitting there talking to herself. It was amazing. And Leslie has a thriving ministry now. But man, you want to talk about the impact this has had on so many people. You know, what's interesting is Al-Qaeda, which was the terrorist organization of choice, uh, was run by Osama bin Laden, founded in the late 1980s. Uh, bin Laden was eventually killed 
May the 1st, 2011, by a U.S. military operation. There were many opportunities to catch, capture, and even kill this guy um, in the years leading up to it, weren't able to do so. Al-Qaeda claimed terrorist, uh, terrorist attacks of that they said, the U.S. embassy bombings in Kenya, Tanzania, 1998, that was, they said that was theirs. The USS Cole, 2000, of course, the 9-11 attacks as well. Uh, once Osama bin Laden was killed, that was kind of the end of Al-Qaeda for a while. But what happened in the U.S. is twofold. I mean, there are two major uh, things that changed in the U.S. that uh, we don't really have any sort of antidote for. The first one is a major distrust of people of the Islamic faith. When it was determined that there were 19 of these guys and they were all either Muslim because they were practicing Islamists or they... Uh, were just Islamic because they came from these Islamic countries and they're theocracies. And they, once you're born there, uh, they claim that you are of that faith. There was a lot of distrust of people of Muslim ancestry for the next several years after the fact, even to the point where seven years later, when Barack Obama was running for president, there was concern from many people in the electorate that uh, he might be a Muslim. And you know what that means. Muslim kind of became a code word for terrorist. Now, it's conceivable that because of his mixed ancestry, uh, President Obama may have some Muslim heritage to him. I mean, remember, this is something people don't understand uh, here in the United States. Because we have religious liberty and because we have the opportunity to basically choose the path that we will follow spiritually, that there are some Americans that are of the opinion that if you're born in America, you're a Christian, but that would be a theocracy and that's not how we work. But the idea that people said, well, you know, his father was from Kenya, I believe, his mother from the United States, that because if Kenya was a Muslim theocracy at that point, then he would have that, uh, uh, he would have that, uh, her uh, that uh, lineage, that heritage as well. But he denies it, and, you know, people turned it into a cudgel against conservatives. It may actually be a fact, but it came across as a code for you don't trust the guy. That, well, that was the first big change, was the, the shifting opinion of, uh, of the Islamic people. And, and that's interesting for us here in the States, especially when you consider how many people come from the Middle East, from majority Muslim countries, and live full, productive, and thriving lives here in the U.S. The second issue, though, is probably a larger one, and it's been a bit more subtle, and that was the creation of the Patriot Act and the United States citizenry voluntarily saying, spy on me form the TSA, Transportation Safety Administration. Let's put, do all the, you know, the, the gate checks and the hand checks and the hand sanitizers and whatever, TSA Pre, which tells you everything you need to know about TSA. How many airlines offer this now? I think most of them do. You can basically submit your passport, give a fingerprint, and that way you don't have to stand in line and go through all the pat-downs. Um, we gave up a lot of our freedoms after 9-11 because we didn't want another 9-11 to happen. Now, to be fair, in George W. Bush's first term in office, there were no fewer than 100 different attacks on his life or the White House that were thwarted because of increased heightened security. So that's the good news. The not so good news is, of course, the government's all over your business. And But that's, I mean, here's the thing. Uh, we have smartphone devices that are far more intrusive than anything the government's done to us. But we did, our, our freedom died a little bit that day, not so much because of the attacks, the attacks on these radicalized Islamists, but because we basically, we kind of gave it up. So what is, happens now? What, what, what's the next step? 
what do we in the United States and we in the body of Christ who live here, uh, what do we look for? How do we live out our citizenry here in the U.S. in these uh, post 9-11 days? Take a quick break and when we come back, I have a couple of thoughts for you to ponder. We'll take a look at them coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to the special edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Um, today, we, of course, commemorate the worst terrorist attack on U.S. soil, the most deadly attack on U.S. soil, uh, with the casualty tally uh, rivaling that of Pearl Harbor, but remembering that Pearl Harbor in Hawaii was U.S. territory on uh, December 7, 1941, and the World Trade Center towers in New York and the Pentagon and, um, the, of course, the western fields of Pennsylvania um, were all very much U.S. soil when 2,977 Americans were killed. Um, well, not all Americans, I believe the terrorists you know, wound up meeting their demise in some way, shape, or form as well. By the way, if you've never been to the 9-11 Memorial Museum, I highly recommend it. It's very, very moving. It was opened on May 21st, 2014. It's located beneath the Memorial Plaza. Uh, visitors can enter the museum through the pavilion, and there are two steel tridents, which are remnants of the North Tower's facade standing in the building's atrium entrance. And I know there was a, a private gift shop that was there too that's kind of been rolled into all that as well. Um, I had the privilege of visiting that in January of 2018. Remember the bomb cyclones that were going on with all the snow and everything like that? My daughter Emily's birthday is January 3rd. She turned 30 and she loves New York. And so her husband rang me up back in the fall and said, hey, dad, we're going to take Emily to New York uh, for her birthday. Going to surprise her and have some friends come along too. I know she'd want you there. Why don't you come? And so we went and it was just this blizzard going on. I have a couple of pictures of Brian, my son-in-law, reading the names of the people who were there and looking at the memorial outdoors. It, all the museums and things were closed because the weather was so bad. And it's really interesting when you look back on that time and see the memorial because it's heartbreaking to think of the people who got up for work that morning, 22 years ago today, didn't think anything of it. I, I, I was taken with the fact that as Em and I were back there, I remember that day, 9-11-2001, uh, because when I saw the attacks, I remember calling home, and it was picture day for my daughters at their middle school. And their mom had them all dressed up and ready for picture day, and they were all sitting in front of the TV. My son, Jake, was just a little wee spry lad at that time. And they were just in tears. And I remember calling her and saying, I'm going to be here. There's work that we need to do because there's all sorts of stuff going on with special programming and everything. I'm fine. You guys stay home. I'll see you when I get home. And um, I remember, you know, making the rounds. We were calling family. Are you doing okay? Are you doing okay? I remember my dad was living in the Las Vegas area, Summerlin at the time. And I called and said, how are you guys doing? He goes, we're fine. That happened across the country. <laughs> it, was, they, they, it didn't really sink into them, the depths of this. But, but moving forward, I think the one thing that it did for a lot of us, for many parents in particular with young children, and then those children moving forward, it kind of put them in protection mode. But it also ushered in for us the idea that the naivete of the American experiment, you know, the American dream, come here, you know, uh, there are people who know that people are people and there's kind of seedy characters behind the scenes. But the idea that you might even be able to connect a couple of dots that the U.S. may have known about this somehow. It's very um, interesting and telling that that just happened to be a day when President George W. Bush was, what, in an elementary school in Louisiana or something like that, reading a story, that uh, they'd gotten him out of there. Somebody knew something behind the scenes. 
And the fact that our innocence kind of died a little bit because then we had Operation Iraqi Freedom and you know, wars were mounted and unrest in the Middle East. And I remember Norm Nelson, the late Norm Nelson of Compassion Ministry, had done a lot of work in the Middle East. And he and I were having an exchange one day on air about U.S. Middle Eastern policy. We weren't really you know, keen on the Obama policy per se, but he liked it better than the Bush policy. And Norm looked at me and said, Roger, you got to understand something. When 9-11 happened, it was a shot heard around the world. When the U.S. retaliated with Operation Iraqi Freedom and Operation Shock and Awe, he said that might have been good for American democracy and diplomacy, but it was horrible for the church in the Middle East. And I said, what do you mean? And he says, well, you know, what happened was the church had been kind of a useful um, uh, antagonist for the dictators that ran those countries. And so the church basically could survive and even thrive a little bit, knowing that those governments didn't perceive them as a threat. But the minute the U.S. retaliated and Operation Iraqi Freedom came into play, all of a sudden, some of those leaders were knocked out of place. There's a new regime, and they didn't treat the church very kindly. And so he looked at me. This was probably 2012. And he said, it's more difficult for Christians in Saudi Arabia, in Iran, in Iraq than ever before. And I thought, well, that's horrible. I mean, it's just, it's, it's terrible. So what do we make of what has come from those events even today? Well, if you take a look at the fastest growing pockets of Christianity in the world, you see they're in Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, all areas where there has been some kind of U.S. military action that's made things a little bit better for the U.S., a little bit worse for the world in terms of that stage, but the church is growing. And the church is thriving. And Lord, we praise you for using even what looks like our worst awful experiences in this life to further your kingdom. You're sovereign. And that means you always get what you want, even if it doesn't look like what we want to endure. But thank you for your love. Thank you for your sovereignty. And thank you for using a tragedy like the 9-11 attacks 22 years ago to bring people closer to you and to let us know that you're in the restoration and reclamation business. And one day, We'll experience that new heaven and new earth and perfect life forever with you. Until that day, we pray, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. That's the bottom line. Stephanie Cover of Cover Law fights for your rights inside and outside the courtroom. As an experienced trial attorney, Stephanie knows that litigating inside a courtroom often costs you more in terms of money, stress, and time. That's why, for the client's sake, she will work hard to settle without the need for a costly trial. Stephanie consistently led her firm in settled cases each month. Because Stephanie worked for insurance companies for decades, she knows how to talk to them. Her knowledge of the insurance process means she's highly qualified and even enjoys talking to insurance adjusters and attorneys on your behalf. Stephanie challenges them with tough questions and holds them accountable for your benefit. When you're in an accident, you want an attorney that will protect your rights and get you the settlement you deserve. Call the attorney who knows the insurance company's processes inside and out and will fight for your total compensation. Call Stephanie Cover at Cover Law today at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or just go to kbrightradio.com slash cover today. Well, welcome to the special edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, 9-11 commemoration today, the 22nd anniversary of the attacks on the Pentagon and the Twin Towers. And of course, it's a day of grieving and remembering. Uh, this is also Movie Monday, and we've got very special Movie Monday guest to uh, 
to introduce you to. But first, though, I just I want to get we like to give stuff away here at the Bottom Line Show. And this past Friday, we had something happen that doesn't always happen. We were offering up a book by my guest on the program, Linda Clare, called "The God for Thank God for Cats: How God Speaks to Us Through Our Feline Fur Babies." Uh, there's still a link up at thebottomlineshow.com. I wanted to congratulate our winners, Elke Nesseth of uh, Sunset Beach and Janet Dahlstrom of Santee and Gene Warland of Los Angeles. We had 14 callers in about 20 minutes call in for that book. It was very, very popular. So Elke and Janet and Gene, congratulations. And to everybody who tried to get in, uh, well, uh, better luck next time, I guess, as they say. All right, Caleb Quay is going to join me here in just a moment. Uh, Caleb has that movie, of course, Louder Than Rock. It's based on his autobiography of Voice Louder Than Rock and Roll from his time playing with the Elton John Band. And the film is coming to Los Angeles this Thursday, screening at the Silicon Beach Film Festival in Hollywood. We're giving away tickets today, but first let's get into the conversation with Caleb Quay on this Movie Monday here on The Bottom Line. Special Movie Monday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and we are Zooming today with Caleb Quay. And uh, Caleb, of course, has become a dear friend of the broadcast over the past six, seven years. The founding guitarist of the Elton John Band, actually the band who founded the name Elton John. Um, we could go on and on. I think Proverbs tells us, let somebody else praise you. So, uh, Caleb, if you'll be so kind, let me do all the praising of you, and you can just sit back and relax. <laughs> okay, Caleb Quay, welcome back okay. to the Bottom Line Show. It's so good to see you again, brother. <laughs> You too, my friend. Thank hey, you so much for having me. Yeah. First and foremost, congratulations on the fact that the documentary Voice Louder Than Rock has finally been released. It's had kind of a soft launch, as we like to say in the industry, uh, yeah. coming out this past spring and summer with some YouTube releases and some online releases. But now you are hitting the film festival circuit. And you were telling me before we started this conversation that the demand, the people who want to see the story of how Elton John became Elton John from the guy who discovered him, um, the demand has been through the roof. Talk about how many people are, are are literally begging you to take this movie to their film festivals and things like that. It's great. <laughs> well, it's been right now up to date, um, 150 um, invitations from oh, film my. festivals around the world. Wow. Yeah, wow. It's just mind blowing. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. So, I mean, we're, we're talking Russia, France, I mean, yeah, Canada. All the, all the yeah. night, Egypt, Japan. I mean, literally, you know, just about on every continent, you know, mm -hmm. and, it's, it's incredible. Well, and the film festival, of course, for many of our bottom line listeners, you know, the, these festivals are where a lot of films get rolled out. And then like they'll come away from Cannes, for example, and say, oh, uh, that movie should be in theaters and it gets a huge distribution. So. Yeah. The fact that these these different film festivals are looking at what you started online uh, is a really good indication that a theatrical release is maybe somewhere on the horizon. Is that That's accurate? what we're hoping and praying for. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad. Were you pleased with the final result? I mean, I know this has been you and Valerie Tucker, your director, Emmy Award winning uh, producer, director, her first documentary film and uh, doing uh, it's a phenomenal work about Elton John, when you finally saw the final screening and said, this is going to be released to the public, what what was your initial reaction? I was very pleased with it. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's taken us 12 years to do it um, because we didn't have a budget. It was just totally a faith, you know, yeah. uh, effort, endeavor, you know. I mean, I don't know anything about making movies. Um, so it was totally a God thing in that, you know, the Lord led me to Valerie um, I didn't know anything about her, her um, background in, in, in TV and stuff and come to find out she's got nine Emmys 
mm. for documentaries. Wow. And it was like, oh, okay. And, uh, you know, she's a believer. And basically, uh, and she would tell you one day, the Lord spoke to her and said, I've sent Caleb to you for you to tell his story. Mm. You know, and uh, and so, you know, we we I had published a book, my autobiography, back in uh, 05, I think it came out, 05, 06. And uh, people were saying, oh, this should be a movie, you know. So we knocked on all the, you know, the industry doors and uh, nobody wanted to touch it. And uh, the ones that did, they wanted to change it, change the story and, sure. you know, Hollywoodize it and all this kind of stuff. And I said, no, you can't do that. This is my story. You're not going to, mm -hmm. this is not that, you know, and it's a documentary. And so it was very, very hands off, you know, from the industry. So we just thought, you know, one, we used to have breakfast at Mimi's uh, <laughs> quite often, you know, I and strategize you. stuff. You know, one day it just hit me. I said, well, the only way we're going to get this story out there is we need to tell it ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, so we just handed it back to God, you know, and God sent us the right people. And it, 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 in fact, at one point, it was so funny because the Lord said, made it very clear. He said, I'm going to first, he says, I'm going to send you all the wrong people so that mm -hmm. when I send you the right people, you'll know who they are. Ooh, boy, that'll preach. <laughs> that will preach. I oh, my tell goodness. you, my friend, that's yeah. one of the reasons it's taken 12 years because yeah. every snake that you can imagine came out of the woodwork, you know, mm -hmm. and it was like, Oh boy, mm. you know? And of course, during this time, dear Valerie, you know, she had, um, uh, what was it? Eight spinal operations. Mm. surgeries. Mm -hmm. So she had some serious health issues that she had to deal with, you know, and, uh, God's seen her through all of that. So it's been, I mean, it's really been some warfare like I couldn't imagine, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there were times when I would I would think, well, are we, Lord, are we barking up the wrong tree here? Did we make a wrong <laughs> turn? Did we turn mm -hmm. left when we should have turned right? All this kind yeah. of stuff, you know. But time and again, the Lord came through with confirmations that we needed, that we were on the right track. And uh, one of the things I learned, Roger, was that, even though it's my testimony, you know, we all have a testimony. Even though it's my testimony, it's God's story. Yeah. Because he orchestrates the story that brings forth the testimony. Amen. Amen. And that, Ka yes, oh, I, was I was just going to say, Caleb Quay is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I have to make sure I get a plug in for the movie. And the reason why we're talking here, too, it is Movie Monday. The Voice Louder Than Rock documentary, Louder Than Rock is going to be screening at the Silicon Beach Film Festival in Hollywood at the legendary Chinese Theater yeah. on Thursday, September the 14th. It's a late afternoon screening, 4 p.m. And we have two tickets to this event to give away that we're going to be giving away at the end of our conversation today. So if you want to just call Crystal right now, 800-227-5278, get in on the drawing because there will be a feeding frenzy for this. We also have a copy of Caleb's book. So if you don't get one of the tickets, you have a chance to win the, the book of Voice Louder Than Rock and Roll that tells this remarkable story of the young high school age guy whose dad was a professional musician. And uh, I, I've, I've uh, your dad, Cab Quay, 
Mm -hmm. uh, did kind of the same type. Didn't Elvis Costello's dad do the same type of thing? Kind of a pop singer type of. I, I think read so. Yeah, yeah, I think it, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you grew up in a musical background mm -hmm. and I love the way you kind of just drop all those massive names like, oh, yeah, that was <laughs> Tuesday night at my house. You know, when dad would come back from the show. I mean, <laughs> hey, give us an idea before you even started working for Dick James, before you even started uh -huh. and met Reginald Dwight, who became john yeah. elton and then you said no it would sound better as elton yeah. john which i love yeah. that part in the movie H who was showing up at your house caleb i mean oh, it, my it's a who's who well you know my dad was one of his best friends was charlie parker mm -hmm. um django reinhardt dizzy gillespie i mm. remember him bouncing me on his knee when i was about four or five years old you know did you try to make his cheeks puff up you know, I remember <laughs> looking up. He, I'd be on his knees and I would look up and see, he'd be blowing his horn. I'd see uh -huh. his cheeks come out like this. And I'd go, oh my God, what is going on? You know, I love amazing. it. Yeah. I yeah. love it. Wow. So, yeah, and members of Duke Ellington's band. So, a ton of musicians were coming around, you know, and, and having jam sessions in our, mm -hmm. in our house, you know. So, mm -hmm. I was just, you know, that, that music that sound that was like uh, what i describe as my sonic wallpaper mm, i love it i love it and when you think about what you see in this documentary anybody who loves music any different style of music is going to love what valerie's done with your story in terms of telling it documentary mm -hmm. style there's interviews from people who you know get me all excited of course you know how much i love chester thompson and chester's yeah. you know plays a huge role in your faith journey which we'll get to later but i mean to see davy johnstone and to see roger pope and i mean all yeah. these guys who uh, i came across a clip on youtube of after your elton days you were playing uh when you toured with hall and oats yeah. And they were on Midnight Special or something like yeah. that. And mm -hmm. I grabbed Lisa. I said, look, it's Caleb. And she's like, wait, I thought he was Elton John. I said, no, he was Daryl Hall and John Oates, too. I mean, that's how <laughs> this thing happens. You said, I mean, it's all the you. It's so much fun. Is it weird when people send you clips of you, you know, saying, hey, here's Caleb Quay at Madison Square Garden or Dodger Stadium or whatever? I mean, it's, does it kind of ring your bell a little bit? It does. It does. But in a good way, I'm, I'm able. And I think that's part of the... Um, having come to, to Christ, you know, it's like we don't forget stuff, mm -hmm. but um, the wonderful thing about coming to Jesus is this amazing grace wipes out. It erases the sting of memories, the darkness. Mm -hmm. and, you, and you remember the journey because he orchestrates yeah. the journey that brings right. forth the testimony, Love you it. know? So, so I'm just very thankful that, um, I was part of a body of work and I have a rich music history um, that seems to have stood the test of time and um, people have good memories about it. Mm -hmm. And so that's good. And um, so I'm able to speak to people or address people for now, a redemptive standpoint, you know, thank them for that, you know, and so, and just kind of gently remind them, I'm not the guy that, that you idolized back then. Mm -hmm. you know he's dead <laughs> yeah 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 he is but he is a new and better there you uh, go the, yeah the new yeah. creation and that's I'm, right yeah I'm grateful to have known your music then yeah. but to yeah. know you now and i know that's our listeners it. will definitely appreciate that when they see this movie uh, yeah. louder than rock the documentary about the life of caleb quay the guy who discovered elton john toured with fallen oats and then came to faith in christ on 
Easter Sunday, 1982 yeah. mm -hmm. at, at, at Church on the Way with Pastor Jack Hayford. We've got a yeah. link for the movie Louder Than Rock at thebottomlineshow.com. We are giving away two tickets to see the movie. And Caleb, you're going to be there, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 And, and Valerie's, Valerie's going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. So you get mm -hmm. a chance to meet them and, and just hang out with people in this festival, the Silicon Beach Festival at the Chinese Theater in Hollywood. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. More of my conversation with Caleb Quay in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Caleb Quay is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. If you're listening on our Bottom Line show affiliates, the radio and podcast, or if you're watching us at myhopenow.com, you see that handsome man to my left, I think, on the screen or on the right. Either way, we're going to be side by side. Is Caleb Quay. Caleb is the guy who was working for Dick James, who was the publisher for the Beatles. They had a recording studio at uh, the Dick James Publishing House. And this is the guy who used to keep the back door open after everybody left. And if you bribed him with food, he would let you come in and record. I mean, it wasn't always that way, but it was, it was it Cat Stevens whose parents had a yeah, restaurant yeah, yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. See, I've, see I've, I've watched this movie so many times, I'm learning your story. <laughs> and you're probably going, hey, wait, man, I, are you sure that's in there? Um <laughs> But but the, when Reg Dwight showed up and was also working for Dick James, and then he went out uh, with his uh, bluesology, I think it was, and then came back and you were touring with them and they were trying to come up with a name and he came up with John Elton and you, you said, no, Elton John sounds better. Yeah. And we just, you know, how many hundreds of thousands of people were at Dodger Stadium just this past fall watching the concerts? I know my uh, daughter and son-in-law were there with his mom, who's a huge Elton John fan. I said, oh, oh yeah? Well, how would you like to meet? And they said, wow. That, so they would love to meet you. Okay. Um, but let, let's, th there's uh, so many Elton John stories that are popping up now, of course, because he's doing his farewell tour and yeah. you are all over his early music. And there's one song in particular that I saw a, a really great guy by the name of Rick Beato dissect on one of his channels. Mm -hmm. And he didn't really give you props for what you had done on the tune Tiny Dancer. And we were just talking during the break about how many misconceptions there are. Caleb Quay set the record straight on everybody knows the song, Hold Me Closer, Tiny Dancer. But there's a guitar part that was in there that is just now coming to the surface. And that was you. Yeah. And I think it's <clears throat> come to the surface um, due to the Britney Spears version that was that came out, uh, I think, last year. Mm hmm. And the there were two young guys that produced it, and they got hold of the, the master tapes, you know, and went over it. And they listened to my guitar part, and they were hearing some stuff that was buried in the original in the mix of the original version mm, for whatever mm -hmm. reason. And uh, when they they so they isolated this, they listened to this, and they were shocked because they thought it was Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> I don't think these guys were even born at the time that we, uh -huh. we actually recorded it you know? uh -huh. and, uh, and and they were shocked and, and actually they did they were interviewed uh, they did an interview in Rolling Stone speaking about this you know mm -hmm. and uh, they were just shocked because they, they were saying we didn't even know Hendrix was still alive when this was recorded <laughs> and um, so then they featured they, they featured these this lick or whatever in the Britney Spears version it's very uh -huh. prominent you know yeah so I thought that was really interesting, you know, so it's just, it's a thrill to know that your work, something that you did years ago stands the test of time. Mm -hmm. It's remarkable. And you're so nonchalant about it. 
Caleb. I mean, I I just get giddy talking to other people about you, let alone when we <laughs> have a chance to have a conversation. And we're going to have to uh, shake hands again soon here because this Zoom yeah. stuff is getting old. But uh, I realized that when we think about the influence that people have, God literally took you to the highest of highs and lowest of lows almost simultaneously with yeah. your work with you know Elton John, Dodger Stadium, Madison Square Garden, Daryl Hall and John Oates at the top of their game, right as they were about to just launch i mean huge 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 with their you know their 80s hits and yet it was on your birthday which is actually coming up yeah. um the uh that that monumental day was in 1978 when mm -hmm. you were turning 30 and god yep. spoke to you very powerfully that which is why the documentary is called louder than rock and your book was right. called a voice louder than rock and roll talk about what it was like for you in terms of the successes that you had and yet you felt so empty you were so alone yeah, I mean, that's that's the paradox um, that affects everybody, not only just in music, but in every walk of life, business, politics, whatever. You know, you can get all this stuff. You can achieve a lot of stuff in the world, you know, but there, is, and, unless, unless you know God, there's an emptiness there. Right, right. You know, um, so what is it the scripture says? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? It's Jesus. Right. You were living that. You were living Absolutely. that. Absolutely. I had yeah. it all, you know, but there was this emptiness, you know. So people kept saying, I remember people were saying to me at, at that time, oh, Caleb, you really made it now, you know. Mm -hmm. And and I'm thinking, uh, it, on the inside, I just felt empty. I thought that this made what? What have I made? This, this, right. I got this, this thing here. And uh, there were issues with my father, you know, these, you know, deep seated anger towards my father, which comes out in the, in the movie. So that's what was driving everything. And, and, and the sad thing is, I think, you know, we can be so driven by, you know, anger or whatever towards our parents or, authority figures in our lives when we were young and driven for the wrong reasons, driven to mm. be competitive, driven yeah. to be successful, you know? So for me, I was driven by this incredible hatred I had told my father. And so for me, it was like, I'm going to show you, mm -hmm. I'm going to show you, you know, it's kind of like a vengeance thing for all this damage you've done in our family. Right. I'm going to show you, you know, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be one of the, I'm going to be one of the best, you know, guitar players in the world so i was driven to all that but for the wrong reasons yeah i was going to say and and you achieved that i mean <laughs> let, let's face it i mean look at the records that you played on i mean <laughs> look at the songs that you helped to write yeah i mean yeah. you were there you know i mean yeah. so I mean, it, 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 your dad had a modicum of success but you had oh, immense, yeah. i mean incredible success whether yeah. it's playing hard rock acoustic you know, the, I think, you know, tiny, the tiny dancer stuff is just yeah. one example. What, what would you, what would you say? We haven't had this conversation before during your Elton years, what was your favorite electric part? You know, either lead or rhythm that you played where it comes on the radio or whatever. And you go, yeah, that was a good day. Anything, boy, oh boy. Any, any, yeah. I was going to say any one in particular, maybe two that jump. Out. Well, one would definitely would be Ballad of the Well-Known Gun off the Tumbleweed Connection album. Mm -hmm. That's definitely right up there. Um, there's actually a track on the very first album, the Empty Sky album, uh, called Sales, mm, mm -hmm. which uh, the, there's some nice guitar stuff, and I was very pleased with that. And yeah. of course, Tiny Dancer, 
that's up there. Um, gosh, that's all I can think of right now. I know. I'm sorry. That's kind of like saying, "Who are your favorite children?" You know, yeah. and you got to rank them all. I mean, you've got you've got so many of these. And uh, we yeah. had we had Phyllis Fender on the program one time, and she'd written about Leo's faith, and and she said, you know, when all those guys were coming into Fullerton and getting their their Telecasters and Strats and stuff like that. And it yeah. was the Hendrixes and everybody, you know, Pete Townsend smashing these yeah. things up. And Leo would say, take care of this one. These are my kids. He didn't have any children. He said, these are my children. Stop, <laughs> stop hurting my kids. And they'd say, sorry, you know, kind of drive away. And then they come back a couple months later. I need a few more guitars. Oh but, my yeah. goodness. Yeah. But you weren't, you, you weren't a guitar smasher though. No, you, no, you no, weren't no. that what you you were a musician and still That's are right. and, That's and still right. playing yeah. too. Mm -hmm. uh, Caleb Quay, the documentary that we love talking about here on the Bottom Line Show, it's called Louder Than Rock, based on his book, A Voice Louder Than Rock and Roll, which is literally his testimony, this four-year odyssey that he went on where God spoke to him on his 30th birthday. And by the time Easter rolled around four years later, he was professing his faith in Christ and coming forward for an altar call. It's an amazing story. The trailer is up at thebottomlineshow.com. You can see the movie online for free, but there's a golden opportunity this Thursday, September 14th at the Silicon Beach Film Festival in Hollywood at the Chinese Theater. Caleb's going to be there. Uh, Valerie Tucker, the director, nine-time Emmy award-winning documentary filmmaker. This is her first big screen uh, documentary to make. Um, they're going to be there, and we have a couple of tickets that we're giving away today, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line, and you're going to have to arm wrestle Crystal, because I know she wants to go, and she <laughs> wants to keep one of these tickets back. Maybe we'll find a way for Crystal to get up and, and see that show, too. It happens during the bottom line show, though, so we'll have to work out some kind of arrangement. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with more about this great documentary and how you can possibly see it for free at the Silicon Beach Film Festival this Thursday, September 14th in Hollywood. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Movie Monday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Caleb Quay is my guest. Caleb, the founding guitarist for the Elton John Band and the guy who actually discovered Reg Dwight and uh, rechristened him Elton John. Uh, he was going to name himself John Elton, and uh, it was Caleb on the tour bus who said, you know, Elton John makes more sense, and the rest is history. Can you imagine what the world of music would be like if we had never heard of Elton John and to see how God got a hold of Caleb Quay when he was rocking and rolling not only for the Elton John band, but his own band Hookfoot, and then eventually Daryl Hall and John Oates. 
But that voice louder than rock and roll showed up on uh, Caleb's 30th birthday, which was actually 45 years ago next month. And uh, he would spend the next four years trying to figure out who that voice was that was calling him, drawing him into himself. And it turned out on Easter Sunday, 1982, that it was uh, that voice was the voice of God. And Caleb's been in pastoral ministry ever since. We have a couple of tickets to give away to the Silicon Beach Film Festival, which is at the Chinese Theater, Historic Chinese Theater in Hollywood. The screening of Louder Than Rock, the documentary, uh, Caleb Quay will be there. Valerie Tucker, the director, nine-time Emmy Award-winning TV director for documentaries. This is her first uh, feature-length motion picture, uh, but they'll be there, and you'll get a chance to meet them as well. Would love to send you. Crystal has a pair of tickets to give away. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. We also have a copy of the original version of uh, Caleb's book, A Voice Louder Than Rock and Roll, if you'd like to win a copy of his autobiography. So a pair of tickets and a copy of the book. Two winners today, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, I was thinking about Caleb as I was, uh, Lisa and I were watching the highlights from the U.S. Open Women's Championship this past Saturday night in New York. And uh, Coco Goff, the winner, her first Grand Slam, her second Grand Slam final, and uh, she was the runner-up in the French Open this year, and she's really been on a, a roll, got a new coach, but also has a new attitude. And there was a moment after the match was over where she dropped to both knees while she was at the bench where she was putting her things in her bag. And one of the ESPN analysts said, boy, she just kind of fell over, kind of taking in the, uh, the, the gravity of the moment. And it was Tony Dungy, Hall of Fame football coach and a great man of God who tweeted out, he said, no, she wasn't taking gravity of the moment. She was giving glory to God. And then afterwards in her acceptance speech of the trophy, very gracious, very mature for a 19-year-old, but gave glory to God yet again. And it's amazing how the Holy Spirit takes over somebody's heart and mind and makes that transformation possible. So congratulations, Coco, for winning the uh, U.S. Open Championship and also Novak Djokovic for winning his 24th major yesterday against Daniil Medvedev. And coming up next, we've got more of my conversation with Caleb Quay talking about his movie Louder Than Rock, the documentary of how Elton John became Elton John. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to this Movie Monday edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Caleb Quay is my guest. Uh, I realize it's 9-11, and if you want to hear my reflections on the 9-11 Patriot Day uh, anniversary, the 22nd anniversary, go to thebottomlineshow.com. That's how we open the show. But today, a very special day, Caleb Quay is with me on Zoom, and you can see our conversation at myhopenow.com. We're giving away a couple of pair of tick a couple of tickets rather to a screening of his documentary, A Voice Louder Than Rock and Roll. It's called Louder Than Rock. Uh, that's happening this Thursday, September 14th, Silicon Beach Film Festival at the Chinese Theater in Hollywood. Um, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And um, boy, I mean, this to see this, to meet Caleb, to meet Valerie Tucker, the director, nine-time Emmy Award-winning documentary maker, who this is her first feature film documentary, uh, it's going to be a great day. Plus, we also have another prize, not a consolation per se, but we have a copy of the, uh, the autobiography, louder than A Voice Louder Than Rock and Roll by Caleb Quay. That we're giving away as well. Three winners today, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Let's get back into it now with part two of my conversation with Caleb Quay on this Movie Monday here on The Bottom Line. 
Movie Monday here on the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Caleb Quay with me in our virtual studio um, where you can watch us at myhopenow.com. You can see uh, what a handsome man Caleb is. You can see the bad lighting I have in my home studio today. But, you know, it's, we're still figuring some things out here. Caleb Quay, of course, the original guitar player for the Elton John band, the guy who literally helped name Elton John, played on his first few records, came back for the big stadium tours, and then migrated to Daryl Hall and John Oates's band and played with another other. Of course, we haven't even talked about Hookfoot. I mean, you were doing all this other stuff and then Hookfoot was a thing too. I mean, you yeah. very prolific from the mid sixties to the early eighties. Uh, Caleb Quay was really humming along and it's all recorded and chronicled by Valerie Tucker, nine time, time Emmy award winning director of documentaries. This is her first big screen release. And uh, Louder Than Rock is available. It's available on Amazon. You have to do a little digging for it in the documentary section. You can find it at YouTube. We'll put links up to where you can see it. And you're getting, I mean, the, in terms of the streaming, we think this belongs in the, in the on the big screen in the theaters. That's why you're doing uh, film festivals right now, Caleb. But you're getting really great reviews up for this yeah. movie. Talk about not only how gratifying it is to get the reviews, but why it's so important in this day and age for people to go online and write a review once they've seen the movie. Um, well, I think to it's important to write a review because it gets the attention of the of the movie industry of the industry, right? The industry bigwigs, you know, that's how they kind of gauge this kind of stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so if they see, you know, some great reviews like on Rotten Tomatoes, that's a big one. Yeah. Um, then they go, okay, these people like it. Let's put it in the in, in the theaters, you know, so that's, that's how that one works. Mm -hmm. Well, those reviews are important to, to have because as we think about, you know, the, the, the whole world has kind of gone digitized in terms of the streaming platforms and things like that. But yeah. now that we are back in theaters, you know, post pandemic, yeah. um, though, I'm sure they're going to cook up another one for the election year next year. But in the meantime, you know, while we can still go to theaters, there's a lot of money to be made. I think of the movie Sound of Freedom, you know, which is right. covers a very challenging subject. It's gone close to two hundred million dollars at the box yeah. office. People want good quality entertainment yeah. that that really challenges them and encourages them. And your story, Caleb, is so perfect because of the fact that you. I mean, Elton John is arguably in our generation one of the most big, one of the biggest superstars that we've seen. You right. know, universal appeal. And the fact that he we wouldn't know him were it not for you, then you see him in his later years, failing health, hard to do concerts, you know, it's uh, he people are getting by on nostalgia. You're still humming. Yeah. Still leading worship, still touring yeah. with your group, the faculty. Talk about where our Southern California viewers and listeners can uh, can come worship with you. Um, yeah, well, come worship with me at uh, New Life Pomona is the name of the church. Okay. <clears throat> New Life Pomona. And um, yeah, I'm there every Sunday. That's yeah. where I am, at church. Yeah. Faithfully serving and, and loving every minute of it. Not quite as loud <laughs> as your Hall and Oates and uh, Elton John days, right? Well, maybe, it, I don't know. I haven't had the- I mean, the... we rock. We, we yeah. you know, it gets groovy, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, but I love it. You know, I mean, it, it's like- do you remember, you would remember the movie years ago, Chariots of Fire? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So there's that, there's that great scene in there where the guy's sister uh, says, okay, enough of the running. You need to come back out on the mission field, you know. Mm -hmm. And he says, I can't give this up. He says, because when every time I run, I've, I feel God's smile. 
Yes, yes. That's what it's like for me playing the guitar. Mm. I love that. So I, I love I love using my gift to serve the church in worship. I think that's fantastic. And you know, it's it's interesting too, and maybe not lost on you or many of our uh, listeners and viewers that it were it was people in the music industry who led you to faith and actually yeah. have helped sustain that over the years. Uh, yeah. Chester Thompson's uh, work notwithstanding, and if, uh, yeah. he he was one of my favorite drummers. But then when you told me how he led you to to Christ uh, oh, with yeah. with that simple, I, <laughs> I, I you know it, it it's the male and female, right? You know, he and his his wife used to really jaw with you quite a bit. And yeah. what was it Chester said to you just after she would stop talking? It was, it was something like, man, you just need Jesus or something. Yeah, like yeah. Well, she would ask me this question. You know, the question was, well, Caleb, why don't you go ahead and tell us what do you believe? You know, so, okay, great. Reasonable question. So I would just launch off on this monologue of complete, <laughs> you know, rubbish, you know. Yeah just talking about Star Trek and astrology and all kinds of, all the stuff, you know, the yeah, whole yeah. jukebox, you know, the uh -huh. hippie jukebox. You know, when I would wind down, when I'd run out of gas, Chester would just very quietly, patiently look at me and say, yeah, man, I know what you mean. You just need Jesus. And that mm. was it. I could not shake those words. You just wow. need Jesus, you know, wow. because wow. I think I knew that while I was saying this stuff, I knew that none of these things that I professed to believe in could fix my internal situation, mm. which mm -hmm. was all this rage against my father that I carried all these years, you know, mm -hmm. and none, none of those things that I professed to believe in could fix any of that. And Chester's words just kept ringing inside of me all night mm. long. Mm. How wonderful, how wonderful. And he's a part of the movie and, of course, he's yeah. seen it, and I'm sure gives it two thumbs way up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. he's thrilled. Yeah, touch. Yeah. Are you that that that's that is thrilling? I'm going to stock your home. I want his number. I just want to shake his hand <laughs> and thank him. I was going to say I want to thank you for playing Phil Collins' parts better than Phil did when you were touring yeah. live. But now, more importantly, I mean, I guess I'll see him in heaven. But before yeah. then, I'd just like to thank him for his faithful witness to you, and oh, still, yeah. you know, and as the fact that he was touring with these bands and yet Sunday mornings when he was in town, he's playing drums for Jack Hayford at church on the way. And I just, yeah. you know, that's, it's phenomenal. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with more about this great documentary and how you can possibly see it for free at the Silicon beach film festival this Thursday, September 14th in Hollywood. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. 833-850-BABY. That's the number I've been telling you about for the past year here on The Bottom Line to call our friends at Preborn and make a tax-deductible to donation to save lives. You want a sure thing? Let me give you a couple of guarantees. First, when you call Preborn and make a tax-deductible donation of $28, you are providing an ultrasound appointment for a woman who is facing a pregnancy that perhaps she didn't think was going to happen. Or maybe she's in between insurance and she wants to get more than just a, you know that pregnancy test that she takes at the store. Preborn will do the testing for her. They'll do the ultrasound appointment for her and then tell her what her options are because a lot of women, quite frankly, aren't quite sure. They're told by the world, you're either going to have the baby or you're going to have an abortion. But there's the adoption option and Preborn can explain adoption. Preborn can explain how to go through the attorneys. 
Preborn could explain all the resources available to you as an expectant mother, whether you are married or not. So we encourage you to make a donation. $28 provides one ultrasound appointment, $280 provides 10, and $15,000 one-time donation to Preborn will give a new ultrasound machine to a Preborn clinic that needs one. Call 833-850-BABY today, 833-850-2229, or click the banner at kbrightradio.com. Caleb, we have a couple minutes left in our conversation here. People are thinking about this movie, uh, Louder Than Rock, and mm-hmm. they're going to see some great information about how Elton John got started, how Hall & Oates kind of made their way. But then, obviously, the last 40 years of your life has been in ministry, and yeah. you want people to see the reconciliation with God that you had and other reconciliation stories, too. You talked about the rage you had against your dad, yeah. and toward the end of his life, you guys had a chance to uh, kind of correct some of those problems talk talk about how the role your faith played in making that possible oh boy um well uh let me see um and this is this is all in the movie so i'll just kind of yeah gives the reader's digest reader's digest there was a span of 20 years um i saw my dad when in 1974 just before i left england to move to the US and I asked him a question. And I said, the question was, dad, do you believe in life after death? And he says, no, it's just ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Hmm. I said, you know what? I said, I believe you're wrong. I'm gonna find out. So <laughs> I'll it. prove you wrong, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's why, not? All of, why not, yeah. <laughs> all of that, you know. So I left England, you know, so run the clock forward. I, I get saved in 82. That was 74. I get saved in 82. Um, get married in 84. Right before we got me and my wife, Lydia, got married, we were in our pre-marriage uh, classes, pre-marital classes, and the pastor gave a teaching on forgiveness. It was the final class. We had a six-week teaching in the final class was on forgiveness and it was a short teaching he said um there's some things in your life that you don't want to take into this marriage some bad things you know and there's obviously good things you know that you're going to take into this into your marriage you know and he said there are some things the things that you don't want to take into your marriage is going to require forgiveness and as he's talking i could feel the finger of god in my chest Mm. Mm mm-hmm and he's saying, you know, <clears throat> it could be parents, it could be, you know, authority figures, etc., who've hurt you, you know. And he says the world would say time heals all things. He says that's not true. He says you've tried to, you know, shove it under the carpet, but it's still there. He says you need to forgive. And so um, here's what we're going to do. And I remember he looked at his watch. He says we've got 20 minutes left. He says the teaching's done. What we're going to do now he says, I'm going to ask you to get on your knees. You're going to pray. And some of you have forgotten things. You want you to ask the Holy Spirit to help you remember. And you need to spend time and hand them over to Jesus. Well, I was just thoroughly, I mean, this thing is pounding in my chest. It was like God saying, this is your time. Deal with this with your, with your father. So, right. so I get on my knee, me and my wife, we're on these chairs, you know, we get on our knees. And this was the most amazing thing because, I started to pray and I, I, all I did was I just obeyed what the man said. I was a brand new believer. You know, I've been say like two years, you know, and been a brand new all this, you know, so I just did what the man said. 
And I ask the Holy Spirit to help me remember. And sure enough, my mind gets flooded with all of these disastrous things that happened, you know. And then I remembered the words that Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And that's when I got this revelation that my dad, even though he had made intentional decisions to harm the family, you know, yet he did not know what he was doing because he was working on his own damage. He was being mm. driven by mm -hmm. his own damage. Right. And it's only, only God has the big picture on my life and the final say on my life. Amen. So that revelation of what Jesus said and what that meant, that set me free to intentionally choose to then forgive my dad for everything he did. Wow. So I'm on my knees and I said, I said, Lord, I forgive my dad for throwing my and I just named throwing my grandmother down a flight of stairs and mm. all this stuff, you know. I mean, trying to kill the family and all this kind of stuff, you know. And so that set me free to choose to forgive my dad, hand it over to Jesus. So I did. Yeah. Amen. And at the end of that time, when we when I got up off my knees and it was time to go across the street into the main service, you know, it's a Sunday morning. I looked at I looked at Lydia, my wife, who we were getting married, and I said, How do you she says, How do you feel? I said, I feel like a hundred pound weight has just been lifted off my chest. Wow. Wow. It was, like, it was done. Mm. It was done. You know, it was just obedience to a revelation, obedience mm. to the word of God, obedience to what God, something God had revealed. That was that was it. You know, mm. I just did what the Beautiful. man said. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then later on, you know, we get married and it was about a month after we got married. One morning I get up, I'm doing my devotions and the Lord spoke to me and says, you need to write your dad a letter. And so that's when I wrote him a letter. And then so that was in 1984. Ten years later, I sent the letter off. I didn't expect to get an, a response and I didn't until 10 years later by that time. I've become a pastor at the church, Pasadena Foursquare Church. <laughs> I'm in my office and the phone rings and this is church secretary. She says, there's somebody on the phone for you from Amsterdam. And I'm thinking, I don't know anybody. I don't know any, any church people or anything in Amsterdam. I said, mm. okay, I'll go ahead and take it. And it's my dad on the phone. Oh, wow. And, oh, and, wow. And, you know, my dad, as crazy as he was, he had a great sense of humor. Mm -hmm. And the first thing he says, he says, Oh, by the way, I got your letter like he's just got it last week. <laughs> it was 10 years. You know? We hadn't seen each other in 20 years. Uh huh. Right? Oh, my. Yeah. And uh, I said, what? You know, okay, great. Got the letter. And he said to me, he says, I know what you're doing. He says, and I'm proud of you. And I'm thinking, mm. the monster is proud of me. This is great. Mm -hmm. The monster, you know, this is crazy, you know. And um, so then, so I said, well, okay, good to hear from him. What's this about? He says, I thought I'd call you to ask you for your advice. And that blew me, that blew my mind. He's asking wow. for uh -huh. advice, you know. I said, okay, what's up? And, and that's when he tells me he's got cancer. I said, okay. So he, he said, uh, I've got to go back in in a week to take some more x-rays and they'll decide what they're going to do. I said, all right. I said, I'll have the church pray. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about it. So a week later, I talked to him and he said, uh, I got good news. He says, the doctor says, 
something's going on, Mr. Quay, something's going on. The cancer stopped spreading and we think we can get it out with surgery. So they opted for surgery, got the cancer out. Wow. He came over to see me. It's all in the, all of this is in the movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, he came over to see me and to cut a long story short, I had the pleasure of leading my dad to Jesus. I uh-huh. led him to Christ over the phone, mm-hmm. went through Romans. If you believe, did you believe this? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. We're yeah. weeping on the phone. Oh, you know? my. And he came over to see me because he, he was insistent. He says, I need to come and speak to you because I need to clean the slate with you. You know, wow. and I'm saying, well, wow. that's okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Stephen, we're fine. You know, yeah. no, I need to come up. So he did, you know, he came over and spent a month with us, with our family. And, and mm-hmm. it was the most beautiful time. And it's what I call icing on the cake. Sometimes when we're obedient and faithful to God, in, in something that's really, you know, uh, been a crisis for us, you know, or a mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. us, you know, he will reward us with what I call icing on the cake. So yes. we had conversations. I would sit up till like three o'clock in the morning, just listening to my dad talk. And I got to know my dad more in those hours than I ever did in my life. He told me about his childhood, the damn, you know, I got to see what, how he was damaged, you know, and I would just listen to him talk. And it was like, God was filling in holes in me that mm. I never even knew I had, you know. Mm. Wow. And this is this is one of the reasons, Roger, I'll just take a little detour here, where right now I, I feel like, and I know it's God's timing that this movie come out now because of the, the crisis, the crucial times in which we live, which on the surface, if you don't know God, they're so hopeless. People have yes. no hope. And, and a lot of people out there are driven by the same kind of stuff that I was driven by, you know, even though they may not have anything to do with the music business or anything, they were still hurt by their fathers or hurt by their mothers or hurt by authority figures in their lives. You know, they were deprived of love that they should have had. And it hurts, you know, yeah. and it drives yeah. people to incredible despair. You know, and now we're living in a time where the younger generation are killing themselves with fentanyl and all this kind of stuff. It's so totally hopeless. And so it's interesting. You mentioned that the other movie, um, oh, the song of, uh, oh, I forget the title of it now, but it just it just came out about the child slavery and all, and all that kind oh, of so, uh, so, uh, Sound of Freedom. Yeah, Sound of Freedom, those kinds of things. There's In the midst of all this, I'm seeing there's this hunger for for redemption yes yes even if people don't know what it is you know they're right, looking right. for for good they're looking for for hope and i believe that's what my movie offers and, and yeah. i think it, it's i just think it's part of god's timing i went to see the the uh the jesus Re- uh, revolution movie yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that came out and i wept in there because mm, it suddenly bad. hit it suddenly hit me i've, I've often love that this verse in the book of Nahum is just one short verse. It says the clouds are the dust of his feet. Mm. And it's this great word picture of where yeah. we think we're at. God is way out in front. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it suddenly hit me because when I got saved, it was like still the Jesus movement was going on. Right, right. Tail end. And, and so I remember all that stuff and, and I was just weeping in and it suddenly hit me. I thought it was God's plan for this movement. 
it just blew my mind. And I went, God, you were 12 years ahead of me. <laughs> the clouds of the dust of his feet. You exactly. were 12 years ahead of me. So I that's why it. I'd like to see it in the theatres. I, I, I believe it. that's where it's supposed to land. And yep. Yep. as many people can see it as possible. I'll give you one 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 uh, praise report. Um, a guy I know in, in England is, is a fan, huge Elton fan and a fan of my stuff and everything, you know, he contacted me. He saw the movie. He saw the movie. He was so moved because he he has terrible father issues, which he talked about. Mm -hmm. He explained to me. He was in the Jehovah's Witness. Oh. Mm -hmm. He saw the movie and he quit the Jehovah's movies, the, the Jehovah's Witness movie. Wow. And wow. gave his heart to Jesus. Oh, my goodness. That's yeah, from... I, I thought, I was going to say, this is Caleb Quay's documentary, uh, Louder Than Rock, which is in, well, I want to say it's in theaters now. It's at film festivals now. It's going to be showing this Thursday, September 14th, 4 p.m. at the Chinese Theater in Hollywood, the legendary Chinese Theater. Caleb will be there. Valerie Tucker, who's a nine-time Emmy Award-winning TV documentary filmmaker who made this film for the big screen, will also be there. We're giving away tickets here. More on that in just a moment before we uh, say goodbye to Caleb. But I, I love your passion. I love your preaching. Uh, we go to go to New Life Pomona, and he'll be leading the worship team. But one of these days, they're going to throw you in the pulpit and have you do the full sermon um, yeah. as well, which I'm sure that happens. I've on done occasion. that a few times, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'll bet it's it's good preaching. But for such a time as this, we're trying to raise some awareness here. The movies we've been championing this project for years, and it's finally been released online, Amazon Prime, uh, through YouTube, through uh, Green Apple Go, G A G O, I believe is. Uh, yeah, and we'll put that link up where you can watch it, watch it and write a review. But if you want to see it on the big screen and meet Caleb in the process, we do have a couple of tickets for that this Thursday. Uh, we're giving them away today. Caleb Quay, it's always a pleasure. We we never get enough time together, and it's always too long in between our visits. But I'm grateful for you now that you're in film festival mode, uh, making some time for us here today here on the Bottom Line Show to talk about this movie. And next time... I have a word from God that we're going to be talking about the theatrical release of this movie. I just, I really, I sense it too. I sense Amen. it. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. For such a time Thank as this, so brother. Thanks yes. for being with us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks. God bless. Love talking with Caleb Quay and so thrilled to be able to promote these free tickets that we have. We've got two individual tickets for the screening this Thursday at the Silicon Beach Film Festival in Hollywood at the Chinese Theater in Hollywood to see Louder Than Rock, the documentary about the life of Caleb Quay. Caleb will be there. I'll be happy to meet you. Valerie Tucker, the director, uh, nine-time Emmy Award-winning TV director, uh, who had, this is her first big screen uh, feature event. They're going to be there as well. Want to send you there as well. Also, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. We also have a copy of Caleb's autobiography, A Voice Louder Than Rock and Roll, that we're giving away as well. So three winners today at 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years? 
After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. My thanks again to Caleb Quay for joining me today here on The Bottom Line. Such a busy guy. Uh, the documentary Louder Than Rock was screened last week at the Toronto Film Festival. You heard him in our conversation during the past half, half hour or so talking about how more than 150 film festivals uh, are interested in having this movie screened there. It is available. We'll put the link for a free stream up at thebottomlineshow.com. You can find that on YouTube. And then to watch the movie and then write a review of it really helps build momentum to get this thing in theaters. We have two tickets to the screening at Silicon Beach Film Festival, which uh, is happening in Hollywood this Thursday, September 14th, four in the afternoon, just the one screening. Caleb will be there. His director, Valerie Tucker, will be there. We want you to be there too. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Also, we have a copy of his autobiography, A Voice Louder Than Rock and Roll, that we're giving away as well. So you're going to win either one of the two tickets to get into the screening at the, the film festival and to meet Caleb and meet Valerie or uh, you get a chance to win the book as well. You know, the beautiful thing about this is if you've ever been to a rock concert and who doesn't remember going to them, uh, you know how loud the music is. You know how <clears throat> part of that feel is why you go. That's kind of the buzz, if you will. To hear a still small voice that actually came through louder than all of the excesses of rock and roll is a perfect way to describe uh, the voice that Caleb was following. And then on Easter Sunday, 1982, at Church on the Way, Pastor Jack Hayford preaching the gospel, and Caleb heard the voice reveal himself and said, it's me, it's God. And Caleb got up, went forward, responded to the call, and has spent the last 40 years in ministry serving the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He helped to establish rock royalty in his non-Christian days, but now he's helping to usher in the royalty and the good news of the gospel into his 75th year. That is good news indeed, and that's the bottom line.